So we've been looking at a living hope in a hopeless world. Um, Peter writing to exiles, people scattered all over, encouraging them of how they might continue in the faith, continue when it's difficult. But as we continue on here in this little section, we continue on with instructions a little bit like last week of what it looks like to be God's people amongst people who wouldn't trust in God. Have a look down. Finally, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble, don't repay evil with evil. You might be sat there thinking, this is pretty heavy going, isn't it? For scattered exiles facing difficult times, struggling on their own, and Peter's just churning out instructions. Why is he giving so many instructions of how to behave? You might get to these first few sentence, sentences and feel a bit like you're being got at by Peter. So as we look through these verses, we're going to think about what Peter's getting at and why we should listen. So firstly, a new life means a new way of living. Well, Peter says why it is that he's given these instructions. And have a look down. See there he says, because... To this you were called, in verse 9. That language of calling is something that we can track through Peter's letter. Right from the very start, verse 1 of chapter 1, the language of being chosen, of being called to be God's people. And then in uh, verse 3, in our memory verse, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We saw a couple of weeks ago in chapter 2, verse 9, God's people are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. So those who trust in Jesus are called to a new life, called to be God's people, called out of darkness and called into light, called into this living hope. But Peter wants to stress the reason for these reminders of how to live these instructions that are in the middle of the book. Part of being called into light and into a living hope is being called into a new way of living. Verse 1 of chapter 1 says, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Verse 14, we saw a couple of weeks ago, as obedient children do not conform. The strategy we saw last week, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. The call of new living is never divorced from the call of new life. Let me tell you the story um, of a friend of mine, um, parents to a little boy called Tyler. He's, um, he was born with a serious heart condition. He has two parents that love being outside. They love cycling, they love running, swimming, surfing. They live in Cape Town, so probably the best city in the world for them. Now, the family just loves being outside all the time. Tyler's got an older brother and an older sister. But Tyler's early life was filled not with activities outside, but a crippling fear and worry for the whole family. Tyler has a heart condition, a serious heart condition. And the problem with his heart meant he couldn't live in the way he wanted. At four years old, 
Tyler was forced to have open heart surgery. This tiny little boy lay out on the bed, come out of theatre with a massive um, scar down his chest. The surgery was to fit a pacemaker to his heart, that his heart could begin to function normally again. Fast forward the clocks four years forward to today, and Tyler lives differently. He runs, he cycles, he swims, he surfs, because his new heart has enabled him to do so. Open heart surgery has given Tyler like a new heart. And a new heart means a new way of living. See, we've seen in 1 Peter, Jesus' people are called to new life and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But it's not just for the sake of it. It's a radically transformed new life with a new purpose. It's open heart surgery that changes the hopeless heart in disobedience towards God to a new heart as we're declared righteous in his eyes. And part of that is being transformed to be more like Jesus. So that's why we get to this point and Peter says in verse 9, to this you were called. Tyler couldn't possibly live with this new heart and function in the same way as he did before surgery. It would just be silly. It's part of his new life that he can now live differently. See, as Peter encourages his recipients to live this way, the way that we've seen in the last week, as he encourages them to live like that, is to live as they now are. Is, is Peter saying, to this you've been called, to new life and to new living? So we come to these instructions here this afternoon in the first bit of our passage, and they're no different. Peter is calling people with new hearts to live as they now are, not as they once were. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That's the world standard, isn't it? For those people then living scattered around modern day Turkey as they're being accused, as they're being given evil punishment. When you get called a name at work, when you get spoken badly of, when someone tells you of what others have said about you, the instinct that bubbles up within us is to fight back, isn't it? And that's the world standard. But Peter says, instead, be like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble, and repay evil with blessings. The verses there repeat the same theme we've seen in the last week. To turn from evil and do good. Because this is what we have been called to when we trust in Jesus. The verses quoted there in, in 10 to 12 are found in Psalm 34 as David teaches children how they might found, find satisfaction in life, in how they might be obedient to God. And the psalm speaks of specific things which actually point towards Jesus. A bit later in the psalm, as you read through, it's pretty clear that the language points towards Jesus to show us that the ultimate fulfilment of this righteous picture that we see in verses 10 to 12 
is only found in Jesus' life. However, as we read these, Peter uses these verses to say, put on Christ-like behaviours. Because you've been, ab- been enabled to live this way with this new heart. So Peter encourages the recipient of the letter to be putting on Christ-like characteristics because to that they have been called. But he doesn't want to divorce that from the new way of living, from, from the new life. He doesn't want to divorce those two things. He says that we are called to new life and a new hope and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and that goes together with a transformed way of living. Yes, God's people are called to be obedient, but it's like Peter's saying to his readers here, as you seek to live this out, as you seek to live it out in the places you are, don't even think about trying to do it in your own strength. It's like he's saying, will you remember that the power to do this only comes from having a new heart? Will you remember that this new heart means that you will live differently? A new heart means a new way of living. But Peter goes on, have a look down, by asking this slightly ironic question. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? If you're going to put on these Christ-like attitudes and characteristics, wouldn't you just be the best person to be around? Wouldn't everyone want to be around you and no one want to harm you? But of course, people did want to harm the recipients of this letter. People will want to harm you if you just continue to be putting on Christ-like characteristics. What does that look like? When someone at work gets accused of doing something and everyone jumps on the bandwagon, slating that person, and you stand up and say, actually, they didn't do it. Suddenly, you become the one that everyone focuses on. You become the one, even though you were just telling the truth. When someone targets you and says, so you hate me because I do this, which you say is sinful, and you say, actually, I don't hate you at all, but I do believe this is what the Bible says about that. What does the person do? So quickly says, you're the arrogant, you're the one with the problem. It happens. So here's Peter's call. Revere Christ, don't fear people. What happens when we fear people? When we're scared of what people say about us, when we're scared about what people think of us, we withdraw, we disengage, we're not prepared to speak up for what we believe. But Peter calls for his readers to be ready for persecution. Look at verse 15. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. See, if people are going to disagree with us, if people are going to not like us, let them not like us because the message of the cross is offensive. How can we do that? Well, look down. Do this with gentleness and respect. When someone hears the concept of sin in the gospel message, 
and says, well, I'm not a bad person. You don't think so, do you? To be gentle and respectful and keep keeping a clear conscience, as the verse goes on, means, well, you don't point in their face and say, yes, I think you are sinful. I think that's what the Bible says. But equally, you don't shy away from saying what the Bible does say about sin, that we've all fooled short of God's standard. How will we speak of Jesus when people put us on the spot? How will we speak up for Jesus in the face of people saying and thinking it doesn't make sense? Well, we'll need to be expectant that opportunities to speak about the hope that we have, opportunities to defend our faith will come and we'll have to be prepared to know what to say knowing to how to explain what we believe but the ultimate thing that peter says is that in that moment we will honor christ in that moment we'll speak up for him when we revere him more than we fear others i don't know if you seen um, the programme on television, SAS Who Dares Wins. It's, um, it's a brilliant programme, I got quite into it. Now, the programme is hosted and organised by five ex-Special Forces uh, military members. They've created this kind of programme that basically reflects the selection process of the SAS. Now, recruits are based in this military-like operating system where they go and stay in the foothills of the Andes and they're tested to the extremes to essentially find out who might make it in the SAS. They um, face the challenges of living at high altitude, at low temperature, with low oxygen, and what they do is they get put through a series of challenges. Each of the contestants get given a number. There's 24 contestants. They get the number on their shoulder, and they're always referred to by that number. Now, the process of selection means that as people are referred to by their number, if at any point they're too scared by a challenge, if at any point they don't want to carry on, then they can hand in their number, they rip it off their shoulder and give it in. And that is the process by which they leave the programme. Throughout the programme, they're given these tasks which play into their fears and concerns. And repeatedly, they're just challenged to say, will you carry on or will you give in your number? The only reason that on that programme they continue to fight their fears is because there's one thing that they revere above their fears. There's one thing that they revere above all else and that is being selected. Being selected for the mock SAS, the completion of the SAS programme. See, we've been given new hearts and transformed to revere Christ above all else. In the face of persecution, questioning, challenges, people at work sidelining us, at school laughing at us, even our family just keeping their distance, the only way that we'll stay faithful to following Jesus, the only way we'll speak up for him is by revering Christ above fearing people. And that happens as we get this new heart. Well, you might be sat there thinking, well, Peter, I know that this new birth that you speak of in Jesus 
it, it gives means that we can have this radically different way of life that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, this living hope. I know that I've got this offer of new life and a new way of living, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it's me. You might think, well, Peter, I know that this new birth should give me a new hope. That means I don't fear people. I don't fear what people think of me. I know that I should revere Christ above all else. But how, Peter, can I be absolutely confident that this is true of me? Don't these things sometimes make us doubt that we have this new birth? Well, this is where this next point is absolutely crucial. Our confidence is in the power of the resurrection. Where is my confidence when I'm suffering? Where is my confidence when my life doesn't feel that new life, that living hope? Well, at this point, look down at verse 18. Peter changes his focus. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Peter reminds us that Jesus suffered and died, sacrificing his righteous position and offering it to us. His position of righteousness given to us unrighteous people because of nothing that we've done. We can be confident because we suffer for someone who has already suffered greatly for us, but through his suffering, he takes away our sin completely. But we're even more confident because of what the resurrection actually achieved. Look at, down at the next bit. It's slightly contentious in exactly what it's saying. But what it is definitely, what Peter definitely means is that when Jesus came back to life, he was made alive claiming victory over death and all that stand against him. Whether it's saying Jesus went and literally proclaimed victory to those that had rejected him when he died, or that Jesus' victory is what was proclaimed even to those that had rejected him in the time of Noah, Wh whichever one of those two things, the point is the same. Jesus' victory is proclaimed and it's victory which is claimed to us. It's the victory of new birth. This victory is huge when we don't feel strong. This victory is huge when we face opposition. This victory is huge because it gives us a living hope. So the resurrection is the mechanism by which we have a clear conscience towards God because we have this new life. When a person becomes a Christian, in the words of verse 21, they pledge a clear conscience, to, conscience towards God. They are saved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And also, the ongoing work of sanctification in our life, being made more like Jesus. That doesn't need to make us feel guilty when we read those instructions that Peter gives us. We don't need to wonder if we're being like Jesus enough. We don't need to wonder if we fear, revere Christ enough. Because the means by which we are made right and given a new identity and born into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the means by which we're called into this new way of living as well. And that new way of living is the ability to revere Christ and not fear others. I've been reading this book um, recently and I think it puts it really helpfully. It's called Union with Christ. It says, at this point in seeing not only justification but also sanctification as a gift received in union with Christ, we are at the heart of the issue on an experiential level for Christians. If sanctification is a matter of me drawing deeply upon myself to do good things for God, then my own holiness and my own effort becomes an end in itself. And preaching should focus only on Christ to the extent that he's a moral exemplar who goads us to work harder. Why? Because in this way of thinking, since Christ's justifying work is done, it's up to us to achieve our sanctification. But this is where the gospel as union with Christ is so radical. It says, do not look to yourself, but look to Jesus for your new identity. See here as we read these instructions in, in, in Peter's letter, Peter doesn't want to make us feel guilty. He ties it into Jesus' victory. How can we be absolutely confident that we have this living hope for the future? How can we be absolutely confident that we are called to a new life and a new way of living? How can we be absolutely confident in revering Christ and not fearing people? The absolute victory of Jesus' resurrection means this new life that we're called into is ours because Jesus has definitely given it to us through the resurrection. The absolute victory of Jesus' resurrection means that we've been given this new capacity, this new heart to revere Christ and see that he is worth revering above all else. See, a new life means a new way of living. That new heart that we've been given lifts our eyes to see how we're to live for Christ. Part of that is that we now revere Christ and don't fear people. And that's all based on Jesus' claim, on what he does. Our confidence is in the power of the resurrection. So when we're not sure about those claims, we're not sure about that call, we don't feel great, return to this power of the resurrection to remind ourselves of who we now are when we trust in Jesus. A new life means a new way of living. Revere Christ, don't fear people. And now our confidence is in the power of the resurrection. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we can listen in and read on in this letter that Peter wrote first to scattered Christians among modern day Turkey, but now to us too. Lord, that our new life in you, brought from you, chosen by you, brings new living. Father, please would you help us 
to remember that this comes about through the power of the resurrection? Would we have our confidence and place our confidence in Jesus' work and not our own? Lord, that as we face opposition in many different forms, Lord, that we'd keep going and that we'd remain faithful to Jesus, not because of our own efforts, but because of our transformed life, because of what Jesus has done. Amen.